0: So this morning we are continuing on with our study of the abundant life, the abundant Christian life. Uh, let's have a word of prayer as we begin. Heavenly Father, again, we ask for your Spirit to teach us, uh, help us to understand the things of Scripture, help us to interpret them correctly, and then give us courage to apply them in our lives. We ask in Christ's name and for his sake, Amen. Now, we begin with a question this morning, and the question is this What would be the most effective advertisement for living the secular life with just enough religion for weddings and funerals and a Christmas service and maybe an occasional Easter service? I would suggest to you that it would be the unhappy Christian, or at least the person who claims to be a Christian but who is dissatisfied and disgruntled and disappointed and discouraged all the time and just sort of expresses that as a lifestyle. People look at that and they say, if that's what religion will do for you, then I can go to the NASCAR races on Sunday or go out to the lake or sleep in. I can do something better than that because I don't want to get into anything that's going to make me feel, or in some cases look, like that. Well, Christ said, He came to give us an abundant life. Not just eternal life, but abundant life. And the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we've established in our first lesson there, that what the thief wants to destroy is your joy. Because if he can get your joy... He's going to systematically take everything else you've got in terms of any Christian witness or your disciplines or whatever. The mark of a Christian is love. But if you have the love of Christ and you really see what that means, there's bound to be some joy there. And the joy is important because we see that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And you know, when you have a joyful spirit, you're going to be able to do a lot more, to uh, bear a lot more if there's some burden you're bearing or whatever it may be. Now, we don't have anything new today, but our goal is to pull some things together, uh, get a good application of this, because we want to look at some safeguards to abundant Christian living, and then we want to take a look at some dangers and some things that the enemy could potentially use to distract our focus on Christ or to derail us from this abundant Christian life that God wants us to know. Now, be sure that everybody understands that this morning I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about sanctification. Sanctification, now, when we do come to Christ... In salvation, we might say that we are positionally sanctified, meaning that we're set apart as his child. But what I'm talking about this morning is progressive sanctification, because at that point, at that point of conversion, then we begin a process of becoming more like Christ and becoming less like our old self. In which situation do you think we'd be the most happy? Well, when we become more like Christ. And that means holy. That's when we're going to really be happy is when we're living up to the full potential of what God has for us. And that is this abundant Christian life. So we're justified, we're set apart, uh, we have the Holy Spirit now, and we're ready in cooperation with the Holy Spirit to put off the corruption and pollution of the old nature, and to put on the image of Christ. Now, sometimes we may hit spurts of that, the sanctification growth in Christ. Oh, we have a marvelous opportunity for you on Wednesday evening. We're talking about growing in spiritual maturity. And we're listening to R.C. Sproul. If you can make it, it's a good one. This is R.C. about 25 years ago. And it is really excellent. But sometimes we we work in spurts and we may make a little progress and then maybe we slide back a little bit. But we're going in the direction of conformity to the image of Christ. If we want to live the abundant Christian life that Christ has promised, we've got to be going in His direction. Now the word abundantly we talked about, it's not something absolutely essential to life, but it's something more. It's something that is added in to make you blessed, to make you happy, as it were, and to make life better, really. And we're not talking about, when we say the abundant life, physical health or wealth or earthly success or status or possessions or position. Now, all of those things may be good and God may give us some of those things to enjoy, But even if he doesn't, if you don't have any of those things, the abundant Christian life is still there for you. And you can experience a life of fullness, a life of satisfaction, a life of profitability to the kingdom in what you're doing, productivity in the kingdom. So the abundant Christian life supersedes all that. I didn't say that it was an easy life. But it is real. We do have an enemy. We'll talk a little bit about the way he might work against us. But it is possible to live the abundant Christian life no matter what is happening in your life. And the guy that I've used as an illustration I I like to use is uh, this guy right here John Bunyan. Twelve years in the Bedford jail plus a lot of other problems that he struggled with throughout his life, all kind of persecution and everything. But how do we know he lived an abundant life? Because he wrote about it. And he wrote about the joy of serving Christ. And he wrote a good bit of it. We don't know exactly how much. But he wrote a lot of it when he was in prison. What did he write that was so abundant? Well, if you can see it here on the table, here are three volumes This is volume one, about 800 pages. You'd have to have a magnifying glass to read that because it's microscopic print. And this guy was very prolific. He was just zipping it out there. And much of it is all about his joy in the Lord and about some of the distractions that the enemy would bring. You've read Pilgrim's Progress. And about how if you lose that joy or somehow it's diminished, how you can get it back again. The abundant life is real. Now, eternal life is certainly abundant. It's forever and ever. But it's also life for today in the here and now. And that's what we're referring to. Now, we want to consider four safeguards against danger. And here they are. And guys, if you can give out that little study guide... And if anybody needs a pen, we'd love for you to have a pen. Tim's got a pen for you. And we'll uh, turn this over. And we'll get started because we've got to go pretty quickly here to get it all done. Now, I have to use some abbreviations on the board there. So, your ACL, we're not talking about uh, some part in your knee or something. We're talking about the abundant Christian life. Now, we have been studying love throughout the book of 1 John. So, we're not going to uh, work on love this morning. But we do have a verse, and that verse is on your study guide. And Paul in Colossians lists a whole bunch of good things and talks about forgiveness and everything. And then he says, and over all these virtues, put on love, which brings them all together in perfect unity. It's the mark of the Christian. Love has got to be at the top up here. So we want just a short, quickie definition for love, or maybe not as much of a definition as a reminder because a lot of times people get very confused about love. And they think that if I'm going to love somebody, I've got to like them first. That's not what love is all about. Love is about doing some things. Now, you've got to have a motivation of heart, of love for God. But it's about acting in the best interests of another person or persons, even without regard to feeling. How does it feel to be crucified? And yet Christ loved us, and because of His love for the Father, He went to the cross, and He bore all of that pain and suffering for us because He loved us. Now, we've been studying in 1 John, in the book of John, love obeys Christ. Love obeys Christ. That's the thing we have to do. Christ tells us how to treat people. And we have to treat them that way whether we emote with them or not. Now it is true that your investments are going to carry your heart. You're looking in the newspaper to see how that latest investment in the stock market is doing. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. As you invest in someone that you may not particularly like, you'll find that your feelings toward that person may begin to change as you get to know him more, as you understand what kind of struggles he has in his life, various other things. Now, these others we're going to come back to. That one we've been talking about. We know pretty much, oh, I should have put black and blue over here, but uh, that's okay. So there are four categories now of potential danger that we may have to uh, encounter. And this covers just about everything that the world, the old nature, and the devil can throw at us. I'm not saying these things are evil. What I'm saying is Satan likes to take good things, like family relationships, and he likes to twist those things around if he possibly can. So these are not bad things in your life. These are just categories of things that happen. But Satan wants to take them and turn them around so that uh, you might get sidetracked. Our first one is circumstances. Circumstances. Paul, the apostle, encountered some very difficult circumstances. He was shipwrecked. He was a night and day out in the ocean. He was hungry. He was tired. He was sleepy. He had the stress of the churches. He had 39 lashes on five different occasions. He was beaten with rods. This guy really had some tough circumstances. Do you know what he said? It's right there on your study guide. Circumstances. For circumstances, we want to maintain a single-minded Single-minded focus. Where? Not on my circumstances. I might just glance at my circumstances, but I want to gaze upon Christ. Because Christ is in control of all of the circumstances. Now, there's something else that goes along with that. And these verses you have there uh, on your uh, study guide... Paul says in verse 12 of Philippians 1, Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. That's going to be an important one too. This is what we're talking about here. Single-minded focus on Christ. He says in verse 21, For me to live is Christ." To die is gain. That's the one we want to have with that one right there. If everything I'm doing is for Christ and that's my focus, then I'm going to be able to put up with whatever circumstances the Lord brings. Because I see in those circumstances an opportunity to promote the gospel. Use circumstances to promote the gospel. And that would be that verse 12 that we just read there. And he says, My circumstances have turned out rather to the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds in Christ are made manifest in the palace among the Praetorian guard he's talking about and in all other places. And we know that many of those Roman uh, legionnaires became Christians Because in history, we see that some legions were entirely Christian. And we know some stories about those things. So for my circumstances, I want to maintain a single-minded focus on Christ. And I want to use my circumstances to promote the gospel. Now, as we're going along, uh, you can be filling in on the bottom of your study guide there. If you like, let's come to the second category of potential danger. Now, people are not a danger, but they can be if you don't see people with the right perspective. People in your own family, people in your own church, people in your own neighborhood. You've got to see them with the mind of Christ. But there's something more to that. Now, if we're looking in Philippians chapter 2. Fortunately, this just goes Philippians chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4 in each of these categories. And we've looked at that before. But here it is, Chapter Two Cultivate a Servant's Heart. Cultivate a servant's heart toward people. You want to see yourself as being like Christ. Now here's what Christ said in Philippians 2. You only have the little verse 7 that says he made himself nothing or he emptied himself taking the very form of a servant. But previous to that he says look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Christ came to serve. He's coming next time as the ruling king. But this time... He was here as the suffering servant. Now, I'm not suggesting you have to suffer as a servant. Certainly, there is suffering in life. We don't have to suffer the way Christ did to that extent. But I'm saying there is a way that you can serve that is going to make it much more pleasant. Here's our service over here. If we have a servant's heart, we're going to be able... To do things in such a way that uh, bring greater joy and happiness to us. Serving with a servant's heart. Now, listen very carefully. This serving in the name of Christ, you've got to be careful with that. Because if you're serving and you're not doing it as unto Christ, guess what? It's not going to work out very well. If you're just uh, doing it for this other person who may not have shown you any gratitude or who may be off doing something else while you're doing all the work, then that's a problem. If you're just serving just because you were brought up as a child to serve, now that's a good thing. Children need to be taught to serve. But at a certain point when you get to be, I don't know, 15, 18, somewhere along the way, you look around and you're doing all the serving and everybody else is being served and enjoying it and you say, wait a minute, I think I may want to swap sides here. I'm going to get over on that side of the being served instead of just dishing out all the serving. Now, there is a way to avoid that. And the way to avoid that is when you serve, you've got to do everything that you do as unto the Lord. Now go back up on the top there. Service. Here it is over here. As unto... Well, you have a blank there. It's Christ. One blank. As unto Christ. Do it as unto Christ, then it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing or what anybody else is saying. Your reward comes from Christ. Look at that verse there up by service on the top galatians five thirteen You are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the old nature, but rather serve one another in love, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, serve one another in love. Here it is. Here's the love. But we're going to serve as, we, as if we're doing it unto Christ. We are doing it for Him. It's a perspective of my heart. Now, what does life look like for a servant? in the Bible. In the Bible, it says, suppose one of you had a servant plowing, looking after the sheep. Would he say to that servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit down and eat your supper? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, wait for me while I eat and drink, and afterward, 10 o'clock that night after you've cleaned up the kitchen, washed the dishes and done everything in the world, then you can get something to eat. Now that doesn't sound too good, but it gets worse. Does he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? And it's just a rhetorical question. So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Hey, open your Bibles to Colossians 3. Colossians 3. Now, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't be grateful for the things that other people do, especially in the family. We ought to be the most grateful people anywhere because that's on our list here. Thankfulness coming next. But when the thankfulness is absent, if I'm doing it for Christ, it still counts. And I don't have to have that thankfulness or I don't have to have anything if I'm doing it Christ. Colossians 3, verse 22, 23, 24. Uh, does somebody have that who would read it out loud for us? Okay, yes. Okay, now we got a word there. We got to take a look at it. It is ophthalmodulia, sight labor. What in the world is sight labor? The word comes from ophthalmos, the eye, and dulia, slavery. We know what a dulia is. It's a slave. What in the world is an eye slave? An eye slave is a slave of men. He does things because he wants to look good in the eyes of men. And whatever the current culture or whatever the current group thinks looks good, that's what he does. He's a slave to men. It's been said everybody's a slave to something or somebody, but to what are we slaves? To whom are we slaves? Slaves of Christ. We want to do that which looks good to Christ. So if we are... um, If we are of the ophthalmodulia group, it's going to be rough. Because if the men aren't grateful for what we're doing, or if we're not looking too good in their eyes, then we don't get the pat on the back, or we don't get whatever it was we were looking for. But if we're doing it for Christ, if we're doing it in His name as unto Christ, then nobody can touch the reward. And I can assure you, it's going to be a much better feeling down in your heart. You'll be able to keep going no matter what the circumstances are, just like the Apostle Paul did. Because for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Whatever I'm doing, I am doing for Christ. Well, if you serve others and you're not thinking about Christ but just doing things for others, the thought of helping others may run out at some point and then thoughts of ungratefulness or even aggravation or jealousy or self-pity may take their place if you're washing dishes and your brother's out playing baseball you may not be too happy about that depending on what the circumstances are You may think it's His time to come in and wash the dishes, but you're washing those dishes for Christ, then you don't have to worry. Jesus said anybody that even gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, a disciple of Christ, will not lose His reward. Let's move quickly to things. Here we go, things. Use things to store up treasure in heaven use things to store up treasure in heaven now in chapter 3 of philippians paul talks all about things and he said whatever things were to my gain these i now count but loss for the sake of christ but he talks a little more at the last part of the chapter i didn't have uh, room to put it on your study guide but uh, it's there In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 19 and 20, he's talking about the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite. Can you imagine that? Worshiping your appetite. Whose glory is their shame, whose minds are set on, guess what? Earthly things. You remember Paul in in, uh, Colossians says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Then he goes on here in Philippians, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if you are a citizen of heaven, you may want to send some investments on up there. Remember where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Now, you can't just walk around floating in a cloud thinking about heaven, but we store up treasure in heaven by making investments in the lives of people, in promoting the gospel, in all these things that we see Paul talking about in the little book of Philippians. There's a lot in that little book. So we want to store up some treasure in heaven. Now, most of the time when we say things, we're thinking about lands and houses and automobiles and things. Paul was talking about, in Philippians 3, some intangible things. He was talking about his heritage and tribe of Benjamin. and He was talking about his zeal for the law. Well, guess what? You can use both categories to store up treasure in heaven. If God has given you capabilities, talents, opportunities, if God has put you in the right family, if you have material things, praise the Lord because you have an opportunity to use those things to store up treasure in heaven. Time, talents, energy, natural abilities... All of these things can be employed in seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's the way we get eternal dividends, is make investments in eternal things. And that way, if somebody steals your car, it's God's car. He can take care of his stuff. If your house burns down, I'm not saying it's going to be a happy occasion by any means, but God's in control of that. God can get you a new house, or God can provide a tent or give you a new experience in life of the great outdoors or whatever he wants to do. Now, I hope nobody's house burns this week. I didn't mean to say that. God can take care of his stuff, no doubt about it. Uh, I'm suggesting that we can be, as the Apostle Paul, sorrowful yet rejoicing. Now we come to category number four here of the potential dangers. And you know what this is. This is worry about circumstances, people, and things. Worry. And Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, the very well-known verse, be anxious for nothing. Would that make worry a sin? I think it probably would, yeah. Be anxious for nothing. If he's telling us what we need to do and not do, then uh, we don't need to do it. Now, we struggle with that because it's so much a part of of our nature, to wonder about the future and wonder what's going to happen. But that's what he says. Be anxious for nothing. And then he tells us a little bit about how we accomplish that. But in everything, see, don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, I'm not talking about a formula. This is not easy to do. You don't just pop up and say, oh, thank you, Lord, and provide all my needs and everything is wonderful. Yeah, You've got to dig in. But he does say, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Is that true? It is true. It's not just a simple formula, but it is true. And it does happen that way. We don't want to say, yes, it works. We know it's God who works. And God can work any way. He, he may show you some things you never guessed would be happening. But He can bring about His good in all of that. Now, we've got three things that we want to talk about here. Three things. Uh, thankfulness. These are our keys to remember. Anybody want to guess what those things would be from the verse there? The verse is Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Philippians 4, 6. We're going to put them right here. Philippians 4, 6. First thing is going to be thanks... Put that first because sometimes we forget it. Thanks. Oh, really, let's, let's knock off the S. Let's just say thank, as in thank the Lord. Pray to the Lord. And then, down in verse 8, we're going to have think. Thank Pray and think. Think about what? Whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. And somebody said, Well, yeah, but it's true. I'm in a mess right now. But we can't look at our experience, we have to look at the Scripture. God says all things will work together for good, He'll help us uh, get out of the mess. As we're going along there. Now, here's the bulletproof vest that God provides for us to keep Satan from shooting you right in the heart. What do we be thankful for? What do we give thanks for? Pie in the sky, by and by? Nope. We give thanks in everything. Yes, families. In everything. What if your family... (laughs) What if your family went over the hill? Moved to California. Left you here. You never even heard from them. Well, you give thanks. God is going to be working something in that. Give thanks in everything. Now, is this true? Say yes. Yeah, listen to this. Here is uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing... In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. But it goes on from there. Psalm 34, 1. I will bless the Lord at all times, and His praise shall continually be in my mouth. But it goes on, Ephesians five 18. Don't be drunk with wine, that's dissipation, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So You've got that joy. You're going to be singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, here's our part, verse 20. Always giving thanks in all things. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of the Lord. Why would you give thanks in all things? Because you know God is going to be using whatever it is for your sanctification and for His glory. But what if you're in the Bedford jail for a dozen years? God's going to be using that to bless people throughout the rest of history with the writings that that guy was cranking out. Well, here's another one, Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Hebrews 13.15. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise, That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name, continually, in everything, whatever comes along. We're thanking God because we know He has a purpose behind it. Now, we're not happy to hear about an incident like the one that happened in the family life class when Yvonne and I were at a big church back in Birmingham. Uh, One day, uh, there was a family in the class that lived in a rather mountainous area of town, And uh, there was a creek that ran down by their private road, and then their driveway went off that up to the garage. One day, their three-year-old son got into the Mercedes, uh, somehow got it out of park, and it rolled out of the garage, down the driveway, across the road, down the ravine, and into the creek with him in it. Now, the family didn't know he was gone because he didn't crank the car. It just silently rolled out the driveway. So when they looked around for him and then they noticed he was missing, the car was missing, and then they saw some uh, branches knocked off down the way there, Uh, they were not dancing with joy, I will assure you, for what had happened in that circumstance. But when they got down in the creek and they found the boy was okay and the Mercedes was, was repairable, then they were very happy. They could give thanks in all things. So we're not saying rejoice when calamity comes. We're saying look behind that to see what God is doing and maybe you can offer thanks. Now it's going to take thinking. Here's meditation again. Remember um, Donald Whitney. It's right on the church website. Meditation. Thinking about Scripture. Because see, that helps you to understand God's thoughts and follow His ways. Uh, Scripture builds your faith. The Scripture says that. Meditation on Scripture assures success in life, according to Joshua 1.8. And meditation cleanses the heart, the mind, and the emotions. You are already clean because of the words I've spoken to you, Christ, over the disciples, in John 15. Now, of all the, um, of all the categories here, uh, we're going to have, have to cut short a little bit here. Of all the categories right here, Worry is something that you do for yourself. And you can do something about that. You can win the battle uh, over worry if you want to. Here is John Haggai, not John Hagee, John Haggai, and uh, how to win over worry. And that is an excellent little book. If you struggle with being anxious about things, and see what he has to say there. There's help for that. But over these other three categories, you may not have control. Which do you think might be the greatest potential danger to you? I'm thinking people. Because people have their own agenda and you don't have any control over it unless they're your little son or daughter. And there's a time coming when that son or daughter grows up and you don't even have control over them at that point. So we might as well figure out what we're going to do with people. What are we going to do with people? Well... Here it is, right here. We're going to play the forgiveness coin for people. Now, does the Bible say that? Well, yes, it does. Uh, Mark 11:25. when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your heavenly Father may forgive your trespasses. Um, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. We don't earn forgiveness by forgiving others, but it does show we have an humble heart before the Lord. Matthew 18, 21, Peter came to Him and said, How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said, Nope. Seventy times seven. Colossians three thirteen. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then He says, And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Well, let me just say quickly here what forgiveness is not. Because some people say, wait a minute now, you're letting this guy off the hook. We don't want to do that. Well, I'm not saying that. God has people on the hook. And He might have you on the hook if you refuse to forgive someone. So we're not saying that at all. We're not saying that forgiveness is just pretending something never happened. It's not just forgetting what happened. Sometimes you can't forget It's not pardoning what happened. It may have been a felony. The law may have to deal with what happened. It's not a toleration of wrongdoing. It's not a feeling of warmth and acceptance toward your offender. It's not giving my approval to wrongdoing. God hates sin. We ought to hate it too. It's not pretending that what happened does not hurt. It may hurt a whole lot. it hurt Christ to be crucified. It's not ignoring what happened. It's not attempting to justify what happened. You can't make evil right, but you can overcome evil with good. And it's not excusing what happened. Boys will be boys. It is unacceptable to God. That's what it's not. Now what is it? It's what Jesus did for us in Scripture. And you know what I'm going to say. He accepted the pain caused by the consequences of our sin and released us from payment for that pain if we would just accept His provision of repenting of our sin and uh, putting our faith and trust in Him. It's a good deal. It's what Joseph did for his brothers. Joseph could have said, okay, you guys, bring the jury and the judge in here. We're going to prosecute you guys. Throw you in the slammer. Well, he took them through a little experience so they could understand what was going on. Now, you've doubtless heard a little boy listen to the Lord's prayer at his church every Sunday. It sounded to him like they were saying, forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. (laughs) Now, if somebody is putting trash in your basket, the only way to get rid of it is forgive. And if you don't, the load you're carrying around may get heavier and heavier because that trash can multiply in the can. Have you noticed that? Somebody says something, somebody does something, And you think about it, and you think about it, and it just gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And you won't be just carrying it for the first mile. You'll be carrying it for every mile. You've got to empty the can. And you've got to empty the can all day long. If you don't, you'll find yourself becoming angry toward that person who put the trash in your basket. They may have put it there, but you don't have to lug it around. Just dump it out through forgiveness. Now, the second thing you need to remember about that, not only does it get heavy, but about half of what goes into your basket may be about half rotten. And after a while, it begins to spell a little bit. And that's when it begins to affect your character and your countenance. And it may take some years. Have you ever known a bitter old person? How did he get to be a bitter old person? He had a lot of practice being a bitter young person. If it comes out in years, then it's going to affect you. Now I'm not talking about somebody coming to you with problems to get your help. I'm talking about slander, meanness, malice, insults, all those things that sometimes people may say to somebody else, possibly about you. Hey, listen to this. I'm running a little bit over time, but um, this is important. We'll go quickly. Here is uh, none of these diseases. S. I. MacMillan. Most of us, uh, excuse me, uh, most of us do not retaliate against others by pounding our heads on the floor or grinding our teeth together. Neither do we shoot one another or give doses of poison. That isn't scriptural or legal. The most common way people get even with others is by talking about them. Is that true? That is true. Talking about them, that isn't scriptural either. But it has the advantage of keeping us out of the electric chair. Running people down does not keep us free from a host of diseases of body and mind. Uh, Expressions of animosity toward others call forth certain hormones from the pituitary, adrenal, thyroid, other glands. It can cause problems in your body. Many diseases develop when we fatten up our grudges by rehearsing them. The moment I start hating a man, I become his slave. I can't enjoy my work anymore because he controls my thoughts. My resentments produce too many stress hormones in my body. I become fatigued after only a few hours' work. The work I formerly enjoyed is now drudgery. Give me a vacation, a luxurious car. It doesn't matter. The man still hounds me wherever I go. I can't escape his tyrannical grasp on my mind. Set out a feast before me, and he describes the feast. I swallow it, I chew the food, but I can't enjoy it because the man will not permit me to enjoy it. King Solomon must have had a similar experience. He wrote, Better a dish of vegetables with love than the best beef served with hatred. Well, the only way you can get rid of that trash and thinking about it, and that person that put it there, is to empty the can. Because if that can begins to smell pretty badly, others won't be able to smell it yet. But when they do, they notice there's some strange aroma Exuding from your persona there. And they wonder, what in the world? What's, what's with this person? What's wrong with this person? You can't afford to become a better person. Now, here's the, um, we've got to put this down under forgiveness and we're just about done. 1 Peter 2 21. Open your Bibles, mark that verse in your Bible. 1 Peter 2 21. For you have been called for this very purpose. What purpose? Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept doing what? All right. Entrusting yourself to Christ. He is the one who judges righteously. We have a righteous judge sitting on the throne. Nobody can do anything or say anything that they just get away with. It may look like they're getting away with it. Like some of the world leaders got away with it. It looked like for a while. Entrusting yourself to Christ. You probably won't be able to truly forgive people and accept the pain And later on, we'll tell you what to do with the pain. But you probably won't be able to do that unless you really trust the judge that's on the throne. So, in Colossians 2, we've already had our verses for this one. Look at your verse for thankfulness there. It's on your study guide. Colossians 2, Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then forgiveness, Ephesians 4.32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Now here's the point of this lesson. If you're going to do these things, which we all do, you've got to be sure that you do them in this way, if you want it to count. If you even want to have a good feeling about giving, Better than receiving. Obey Christ. Follow His commandments. We've been talking about that. Do your service unto Christ. If you're sweeping the floor, if you're cleaning up after the covered dish luncheon, do it unto Christ. He won't let you down. Give thanks in everything. If something bad happens, say with Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's doing something in my heart. Forgiveness, I've got to be entrusting myself to Christ if I can truly and openly forgive because I don't want to let that person off the hook, but Christ takes care of all the pain and all the vengeance and everything else. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this marvelous book, uh, the Bible. We need your grace to be able to apply it. We need your grace even to be able to understand it. So we ask, Lord, for that grace and we thank You that You've invited us to come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. And that's what we do right now. We pray these things in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.